This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. Uh, I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio tonight is uh, making her Primal Screen debut. It is PhD candidate and researcher at RMIT, Alexa Scarletta. Welcome to Primal Screen, Alexa. Thanks so much, Flick. It's so good to see you. It's been too long. It has. It has indeed. And returning to the mic, uh, we have Swinburne academic Dr. Andy Lynch. Welcome back, Andy. Thanks for having me back. Well, I had to. I was. Um, we had such a fun time chatting uh, many moons ago about um, prestige television um, uh, from last year. So, um, and we're returning to home entertainment tonight. We're going to be chatting about alternative streaming pl- platforms that you may not be aware of. I'm sure I'm going to not know a lot of these. Um, and we, later on, we're going to be reviewing Danny Boyle's punk miniseries on Disney+. Plus which already sounds like an oxymoron, Uh, it's Pistol, a music biopic about 70s punk band The Sex Pistols. Then we'll shut our windows extra, extra tight for the rural sci-fi horror From, which is currently streaming on Stan. So, Alexa, your PhD thesis tracked the arrival and the early years of online TV in Australia when, when did online TV um, first come into the scene here? Well, Australia has always loved to access as much TV online as possible. Um, when I started doing my research, um, when I started my PhD project, I initially wanted to look at um, how we'd become the kind of um, – pirate capital of the world <laughs> we were, sounds cooler than it is yeah, maybe <laughs> exactly um we were melbourne especially was known as uh, the pirate capital of the world i think followed by athens and then sydney and mm. then we were um, downloading game of thrones at a kind of voracious rate and so i wanted to look at how that had become a kind of normal practice mm. and then end of 20, 2014 early 2015 the rumbling started that netflix was coming and a bunch of other streaming services and incumbent services started to um, try and meet them, get into the into the market before Stan, uh, before Netflix arrived. So um, services like Stan, um, which is owned by Nine, and uh, Presto, which was a Seven and Foxtel collaboration. R.I.P. Presto <laughs> didn't last very long. I don't even think I remember Presto. Oh, it, yeah, it had some like made for um, Presto Home and Away spin off movies. Oh, really? right. Yeah, that I was their was, only yeah. original content yeah and I I thought for some reason it was like a cooking show like they just go through pesto (laughs) pesto and presto (laughs) um so I guess this what the media dubbed the streaming wars kicked off in Mm. 2015 uh, Stan arrived first on Australia Day with their Rebel Wilson ads, as they um, were prone to do for the next few years. Um, and then Netflix arrived in March. And so by the end of that year, Netflix was in um, a million home, like it was wow. being accessed by a million Australians. So that's and, March 2015. Yeah, 2015. Wow. So it, it feels like they 
I don't know, does it feel like they just arrived? To me it does in the kind of grand scheme of TV and and yeah. screen culture. They haven't been around for that long, especially in Australia, but um, they've been here for, yeah, seven years now. And, and a little longer given that, given yeah. that a lot there of Aussies were, were around. Yes, there were apparently 200,000 Australians using like a 90210 postcode to watch <laughs> to watch Netflix before it had arrived. I love that. Me it's, too. it's TV themed, yes, you know? Exactly. We're early adopters. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's fascinating, though, because in some ways, you know, yeah, 2015 isn't that long ago, but so ubiquitous um, to the point where I was helping my parents. They've got a new smart TV and it just has Netflix on there automatically. They just need to put their login. It definitely (laughs) does. Yeah, they've paid a lot of money to just be on there, to be on every TV and to be on every remote as well. Yeah, Um, right. Yeah, so, you know, Apparently, Australia is now the most highly penetrated Netflix nation in the world. Really? Yeah, in sixty three available in six to sixty three percent of the population, according to you know some estimations, uh, uh, compared to fifty percent in the US. So why do you think that is? I'm surprised that the US wouldn't have a S- similar take up rate. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a kind of medley of things. Um, we waited so long uh, mm. to get it. There was a big appetite for it. I think Foxtel had some of their shows originally and, and Netflix had to buy them back, like Orange is the New Black and yeah. House of Cards. They kind of had to buy them back. Um, but also we've had to put up with for a long time with that kind of delay, um, mm. that six-month delay to get content. Um and that fueled a lot of the piracy instincts, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We weren't willing to wait. We were anymore. not willing we were to global wait. Global citizens. Yes. We wanted our Game of Thrones <laughs> we were saying, on time. Bring Netflix here and we'll pay for it. We are mm. willing to pay, and it seems like we are. Now, the research suggests that the take up has been significant, but we'll never really know because these services are complete black boxes. They're not required to share any data about their um, subscri- subscriber rates beyond a kind of uh, broad number around the world in their kind of quarterly reports to their wow. – so we don't know really how many That's um, so fascinating. subscribers there are in Australia. Yeah, there would be so much um, oh, wealth of data there. <laughs> oh, if only I had 10 minutes in, in that black box, I would love to, um, yeah, to know more. So I love that all the researchers in this studio right now are just rubbing our hands. <laughs> Does this mean that if Netflix tells us that a new show, Stranger Things, for example, yes. is is number one or the most watched show they've ever they've ever put out, does this mean? Do we believe them? Yeah. Okay, so they've always been very, very cagey with that material, right? And they'll they over time though, um, due to increased pressure, they have given up more info. And just a couple of years ago, they added. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like that Netflix top ten kind of um, row in yeah, the interface. Yeah. Um, I'm so- always surprised by it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, me too. And uh, they now have a kind of website that um, is a, a distinct Netflix top 10 site and shows what's um, popular around the world. Now, this notion of popularity is quite um, problematic mm. because according to them, if someone watches more than two minutes, they count that as a watch. Really? It, yeah, it implies that they have watched it on purpose. They haven't just <laughs> left Netflix running. What about if you do that thing where you say, I'm not in – you know how, like, you just want to get rid of it from uh, – the bar, yeah. So I share my login with my yes, dad. This so is my a yeah. So my algorithm has been skewed very strongly. His, you should to make his own films. profile. I know, I know. Mm. We've had this conversation, but um, he just uses mine, and I. 
Yeah, so my algorithm's screwed. So sometimes I'm just like, I'm just letting him have it at this sure. point. I think I'll set up my own one because it's just, it honestly is like war films back to back. And so I thought that by clicking, right clicking or however you do it and you can remove it, like saying, I don't want to see this content anymore. Does that do anything? You can go into your settings and delete your viewing history. That's oh. kind of the best way to encourage Netflix not to serve up the same stuff to you. Is that like yeah. deleting your cookies on a web browser? Somewhat, mm. yeah. Um, That's a hot tip actually because, yeah, sometimes you go through a phase of like I have lockdown watches where I'm like – or COVID watches recently mm. and I'm like I never want to return to those shows. They were a dark, dark time in my <laughs> life. I really want the, the terrible things that I've started watching to be removed from my continue watching if I wasn't interested. I don't want to have to do it myself. That doesn't reflect your, your no, refined exactly. taste. Of course. But, but that Netflix top 10 data that's the most information that we have and that will tell us you know that Bridgerton was season two was the most show watched show in or at least most watched English language show mm-hmm. in Netflix mm-hmm. history and they they have a, a kind of hours watched figure which is so different from the kind of ratings data that broadcast tv yeah. is obliged to to share yeah totally and seeing whether they actually are reaching those demographics are you Mm. reaching all people and like you know stations like abc and sbs do have to show that they're catering to most australians and i know that's a really vague term but that's true they do are held accountable um Andy, last year we took a very deep dive into prestige television um, with you, but your research is also concerned with um, diverse approaches of um, niche streaming services. And um, Alexa, you and, and Andy at the start of the year, you published an article in Senses of Cinema which was all about independent subscription video on demand services. And in that you argued that these small independent services complicated the notion of auteurism. <laughs> Um, the fact that I'm even stumbling over it, before we unpack this dynamic, can you first explain to listeners what you actually mean by auteurism? Sure. So auteurism is, you know, I guess old school film studies kind of concept. It was taken from, you know, the some of the earliest uh, French film scholars who started the, the magazine come journal Cahiers de Cinema. It was largely a way of understanding this, well, not new at the time, but still kind of, you know, not quite legitimate medium of, of cinema. It was still seen as kind of, you know, the, the poorer cousin to the, the fine arts, like, mm. like uh, you know, theatre and literature and things like that. And this idea that, you know, uh, art needed to have, you know, an author, a particular person whose, you know, creative side had, had come out uh, in, this, in this piece of work. So it was this kind of concept that maybe we could understand films in particular, and now that's obviously been carried over to, to television and to, to video games and everything else, as, as the kind of work of, a, of an author, of a, of a great mind. Uh, typically at the time they were, they were men, largely mm-hmm. ascribed to male directors. White, white men. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so really just autorism as, a, as an approach is just this, and I think, you know, yes, it's an academic term, but it is really a popular way for everyone to understand the stuff we like. Mm. It's, it's pretty hard to talk about, you know, your favourite movies without, you know, bringing up your favourite director. Yeah. Nowadays we associate films with 
directors. It used to be producers, but directors are now seen as the kind of head honcho or the, you know, where the buck falls. Mm. I suppose uh, that has to do with the shift in the studio system as well, because previously the producers had a lot of say. <laughs> absolutely. You know, the best the best picture still gets handed out to producers. Yeah. Um, you know, where directors were once upon a time in Hollywood, hired guns, whereas now we think of them as someone with a lot more kind of creative control yeah. and power. So that's really all autorism is, is this, this idea of ascribing authorship yeah. uh, to, to something which we actually know in reality is a is a real collaborative process. You yeah. Know, from makeup to actors to cinematographers. But, you know, our, our puny little minds do the best <laughs> they can to understand the things we love and so we say must be his work or her work. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, so how exactly do these independent subscription video on demand services challenge this notion of an auteur or an author at the centre of a film or TV series? Well, it's less about individual series, at least in, in this regard. You mm. know, for a long time, showrunners, in the case of TV, have been the kind of, you know, ascribed auteur du jour. You know, we directors on TV shows tend to, to work across multiple shows. They're kind of more guns for hire. So we've ascribed, you know, authorship to, to showrunners, to creators, to writers, yeah. you know, people like Lena Dunham or Adam uh, Aaron Sorkin or these types of figures. Um but we kind of thought of the idea that, you know, no one really, I don't think, many viewers think of Netflix as <laughs> someone's, you know, output, someone's creative vision. <laughs> I like, would hope not. <laughs> like, yes, they have a CEO. There was a certain kind of cred to a Netflix original early on. Oh, yeah. But now there's just so many that mm. it's very difficult to kind of affix it with yeah. that one brand. Yeah, it doesn't have much of it. It has, it has the same vibe as, you know. TV does. It's, it's but trying it, to but be even everything. then, early on, it wasn't like Netflix's House of Cards. It was David Fincher's House of Cards. Absolutely. So they're, they're not um, backwards in coming forwards about like, the money that they're willing to spend on getting these auteur mm. creators, you know, giving Shonda Rhimes so much money to bring her over from ABC. All the money. You know? $100 million? Is that what you got? It was worth it for Bridgerton. It was oh. a good investment, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely seeing, um, yeah, return, <laughs> return on, on investment. their investment. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really interesting, though, that. With streaming services, we see that same thing that's happening of wanting to draw upon mm -hmm. the prestige of cinema and bringing it into the television space. I know, of course, there are films on Netflix, but the majority of what's so good about these streaming services are these TV series yeah. that you sometimes only have access to mm. through through these um, platforms. Totally. Largely exclusive original mm. content is how they're working to distinguish themselves, you know, have a have a kind of a point of difference, you know, when Definitely. you can subscribe to 10 different things, why would you bother getting Paramount Plus? Still, my students <laughs> no. ask me why I bother Paramount Plus. And we know why. It's you don't want to watch Halo? <laughs> yellow Jackets is worth it. That yeah, was yeah. worth it, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. But we had this, this question of, well, yeah, you know, Netflix or Stan don't necessarily have a clear author's voice ascribed to them. Yeah. But maybe once you go down, you know, the line to some of these, you know, weirder or more obscure, in some cases, independently owned services, Maybe we could, you know, start to ascribe an author a kind of a creative vision yeah. uh, to these services. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of these lesser known platforms or services? Well, we were pretty fed up with Netflix and Amazon Prime um, and I'm going to give it to them, Paramount Plus and Stan, you know, getting all of the attention yeah. when it comes to their outputs. And obviously they are producing the most, but there are all of these like smaller services mm. that we as ascribe different tiers, I suppose. Um, the second tier services we consider to be these like smaller niche services, often very genre specific, mm. um, but owned by um, a part of like a larger media interest. So services like Hey You, which is owned by NBC Universal and is a reality 
reality TV lover's dream. Mm. Um, <laughs> Big fan. Yep. <laughs> um, services like Shudder and Sundance Now and Acorn TV, which are all very genre-specific but all owned by AMC. Um, mm. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. I don't think I knew that. And then you've got, like, BBC's Britbox, which yeah. is very kind of um, taking British content to the world. Uh, and Crunchyroll, which is anime specific and owned by Warner Media, so they're kind of sitting off independently by themselves. They're not subsumed under, say, the Disney Plus banner like mm. Stars Star is now. Um, but they basically give um, these big conglomerates um, an opportunity to dust off their libraries of content that they they own um, and feed it to audiences that, for example, like, hey, you audiences love keeping up with the Kardashians. So, you know, it's a really great way to make use of these um, catalogs that they weren't perhaps using as Mm. creatively before. Well, that's another thing, and that's maybe – a positive thing about some of these streaming services and what, you know, even this is applies to some of the more major ones as well, but the curation mm. Of, mm. of content and, you know, we were making fun of the algorithm before, but, you know, a big part of that is actually being able to direct people and broaden your interests perhaps because you're like, wow, I didn't know that this existed or I didn't, you know, like actually looking into that. So, um, yeah, have you seen that? Have you seen that side of curation get more, I suppose, that these smaller independent ones, they have a sharper focus. Would that be correct? Should we bring in our third tier services now, Andy? <laughs> well, to- let's go third tier or are you or- – Carry on, Andy. But you're quite right. I think I think one of the interesting things I've seen, as as you say, we're used to this kind of big data, you know, um, mm. algorithmic curation approach that you know Netflix has promised for years that it's going to give us, you know, exactly our individualized, mm-hmm. perfect stream mm. of content. But you know, in reality, you find you're being shown the same things over and over again, or things maybe you're not interested in, or of course, Netflix's own mm. original content. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to see now, especially things like, for example, owned by AMC, but the genre-specific Shutter, which of course focuses around horror films. It's the globally dominant horror service. It's it's now available in Australia, um, but that's very much that has a team of you know hired curators, people who largely mm. work on film festivals, and so it, at least to some degree, it's trying to give a sense of like human-led curation in opposition to mm. what this kind of first-tier mainstream, uh, you know, uh, I guess um, style of, of streaming service will will give you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I want to. Should we go into this these third tier yeah. examples? Because I want to hear some of these wacky, <laughs> these wacky ones. <laughs> what do you got? All right. So we <laughs> <laughs> they are crazy. So Alexa generously uh, let me focus our our recent publication on one called uh, Full Moon Features uh, yeah. that I've been a subscriber of uh, for quite some time. So this is a purely independently owned uh, service. It's run by veteran uh, Hollywood B movie producer. And one-time director, Charlie Band, uh, who is known. He's run various operations over the years. He was an <laughs> early adopter of, you know, DVD and, and you know, right. home video content. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's made all sorts of movies that I'm sure our listeners have heard of. Oh, like the all familiar with. Oh, yeah. the Puppet Master series, the Evil Bong series. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Evil Bong, yeah. Gary Busey's Ginger <laughs> Dead Man. Gary Busey, actually? Ginger yeah. Dead Man. Oh, wow. He's the voice of the Ginger <laughs> Dead Man. And you can see him coming up again the evil bong in their big crossover event so <laughs> look i watch you're these really things so, are you getting a cut of full moon features oh i wish yeah. I, could get, I could get hundreds of dollars <laughs> in this cut but it's an interesting to see that you know these are kind of i guess scrappy what we would have thought of as you know little micro budget studios that have yeah. existed on the fringes of kind of yeah. you know mainstream cinema for ages 
And the kind of back end of streaming is now quite achievable. You know, mm, there are yep. companies who will run your, your you know, your, the digital infrastructure of your streaming service. So really you just need to upload your content that you've got sitting around and it'll happen. It'll, it'll and run. you don't need millions of subscribers. No. You need a small group that is loyal and passionate. Yeah. Well, that's true for so many uh, subcultural styles, which we're going to dig into in a, in a little bit later tonight. That's so interesting, though, hearing how, how it kind of operates in a similar way. Um, what else have you got for this third tier? Alexa? <laughs> I, think, I forget what Dove Channel is. Do you remember? Oh, the, okay, Dove Channel, oh. I don't believe available in Australia, but I do love it, the Dove Channel yeah. specificity that it is um, relig- uh, approved kind of religious content. So regular uh-huh. content, films and television shows, but yeah. approved to a certain standard of content via the Dove Foundation, which is a, a, an American uh, foundation of kind of that kind of gives provides um, viewership guidance. Right. I suppose. Yeah, so like the parents' a... guide almost, but Absolutely. for Christians. Oh, yeah. well, not necessarily just Christians, just anyone religious. Uh, if... They have a particular evangelical oh, okay. Christian bent, right. which is very okay. popular in the yeah. United States. Um, but no, it's not based on the soap. I, I thought it might be a soap. <laughs> yeah, sponsored. that's where I thought you were going. I'm like, who wants to anyway? <laughs> so, other independent or marginal third tier spots or subscription video on demand platforms include like Mubi, which is a oh, kind of curated big fan of Mubi movie movie service. Yeah. Um, which formerly called itself. the auteurs. It's yeah. the original <laughs> title. Which prides oh, itself on independence. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They are also, I have to say, just a bit of a shout out to Mubi. And again, I'm not getting any money from them, unfortunately. You know, hit me up. <laughs> but um, they also couple their screenings, I uh, say screenings, their streaming screenings um, with really excellent write-ups. And oh, so yeah. you great have this. Great editorial, great yeah, copy. Yeah, it's amazing. as well mm. that you can so, subscribe to yeah. as well alongside the and, and releases. There's that, and that whole branding around yeah. being a cinephile yes. and having movie, you know, like the two going hand in hand almost. And same with Criterion, um, which is obviously specific to <laughs> a particular uh, line of DVDs. Slick, but... if you like movie, I've got a, pro- I've got a <laughs> proposal for you. You might like No Budge Squared. Oh, I haven't heard of this. No okay. Budge Squared. <laughs> so this is fantastic. Also the brainchild of a single uh, person. This is the wonderfully named uh, actor-director, Kentucker Audley, oh. which has got to be one of the coolest. the hats? Yeah, the guy oh, with the I hats. <laughs> okay, he, separately, he also has a great uh, business, which I forgot to bring my hat today. He sells hats with the word movies on them. Oh. And this has been seen on, you know, various kind of crew around Hollywood, including the Safdie brothers, for example. Yeah. But if you want a hat with movies on it, you can get it from this guy. <laughs> but what? So he's been running uh, this thing, No Budge, which stands for No Budget, to describe really, right. really low budget indie cinema. He's been running this blog for years and years, and then he kind of turned it into a, a streaming platform. And now you can, there's a free version and there's also a, a paid version. But anyone, any short filmmakers from around the world are encouraged to, to send in their content. He is the sole curator, though. You know, what makes it yeah. on is up to him. Um, but it is a really interesting way for all sorts of people to get their, you know, a- aspiring filmmakers particularly, to get their kind of voice out. Yeah. And he releases, like, legitimately, he's actually a legitimately great actor <laughs> and director. He's um, made a film, Strawberry Mansion, from earlier this year that's doing the rounds. Uh, he was in uh, the wonderful She Dies Tomorrow, mm, which is a kind of I tribute I remember that film. one. We he's the boyfriend. It. Yeah, He's right. where the curse comes from. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of adjacent to movie. It's very associated with that mumblecore, yeah. you know, low-budget American filmmaking. And so, look, I th- if you're going to support – and some of the proceeds go to the, the, the filmmakers who Wonderful. are uploaded there. So I think it's a great, yeah. you know, um, 
yeah, a, a great little extra add-on. These things, none of these are anyone's, you know, first choice for streaming. You know, this is the assumption that people will still have Netflix or Stan or Prime, but maybe you might yeah, also... Yeah, they don't compete directly, no, no. but they kind of complement these yeah. rather these conglomerated generalist services. Absolutely, and the thought of, like, following a thread, um, I think, is really appealing, especially mm-hmm. when, like you say, it's being curated by this one person. It's it's quite a curious concept. There's also one new one that you Okay, so we today, just Andy. learned about this just the other day. <laughs> Fresh off the press. Oh, I can't wait to subscribe. So this is Passion Flicks, and it's not as raunchy as it sounds, I promise. <laughs> it might be, though, I was Andy. like, this is, um, you know, this is still some kids up, Andy. I don't know. So this is... And Did you say Passion Flicks? Passion yeah. Flicks, because okay. you've got to add flicks to anything <laughs> yeah. to make it a streaming Or a plus. Platform. Or a plus, yeah. we yeah. should say. Or an I. Yeah. So this is, I think, an incredible uh, business venture. And again, I'm not sponsored by Passion Flicks, so I would like some of that, <laughs> that cash. Um, so this is quite cleverly... Um, t- targeting the kind of romance novel audience. Oh. So, so a largely kind of female demographic. And they're making original content. So they're, pub- they're making these kind of relatively low budget uh, adaptations of successful romance novels. Oh, so it's kind of like uh, slash fiction but uh, not saucy? Or is it a bit saucy? It's a bit saucy. <laughs> it's a bit oh, saucy. okay. But it's not, you know, it's not full on raunch. But yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's a, such a clever idea because obviously the romance fiction market has been popular forever and obviously has a really dedicated audience. So, uh, but this is interestingly funded by and oh, founded by uh, one of the lesser-known Musks, the the Musk sister. Oh, <laughs> as in Elon Musk. Yes, yeah. yes. As, of that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that is very fascinating. So maybe a bit of tidbit. a bit of seed capital in there. But, <laughs> yeah. but hey. She's on yes, to a good maybe idea. we should consider a second tier service, given yeah. their their links to other <laughs> businesses. Yeah, the hidden wealth behind yeah. all this. That can be your next article. <laughs> um, if you've just tuned in, um, I've been speaking with film academics Dr. Andy Lynch and Alexa Scaletta about alternative streaming platforms and independent subscription video on demand services. I feel like you've given us a lot to think about, both as viewers and also for any filmmakers out there who might want to pitch their work, um, you know, to some of these streaming services. So the building popularity of streaming platforms and their kind of ubiquitous presence in our everyday lives is um, it's obviously owing to many different factors, um, but each streaming platform has its own collection and branding uh, that present what audiences can kind of expect um, from the service. But it also allows for viewers to be prompted with, you know, like that old slogan of like, if you like this, you'll love this. Um, so I have to say, I was, uh, <laughs> look, I was pretty shook to see that the director who famously had Ewan McGregor dive headfirst into a filthy toilet bowl um, for the iconic 90s drug film, Train Spotting, had chosen none other than Disney Plus for his latest punk bio series about the Sex Pistols. I am, of course, referring to Danny Boyle's Pistol, which premiered on Disney Plus last week. Here is a short clip. England's terribly boring. Nothing ever changes. Kisses for me, save all your kisses for me. We're invisible. We're pissed off. We're bored. So maybe that should be our image. With the right guidance, you could change the world. So that is Danny Boyle's pistol. Alexa, um, this is your pick for tonight. And um, at least on the surface, uh, the pairing of Boyle and Disney does seem to make an odd couple. I think it's a match made um, in heaven. 
especially one... after yesterday, you'd think I yeah, I feel like yesterday maybe would have been better suited to Disney Plus. Yes. This is yeah. uh this is uh, you know how you were talking about if you'd seen this, maybe you'll like that. Yeah. I feel like if you watched Pam and uh, Pam and Tommy, maybe you'll like this. This is <laughs> this is why this is on Disney Plus now. So let's just let's just for people who for whatever reason uh, don't know about Disney Plus, mm-hmm. how how does that that service kind of set itself up? Okay, so we spoke about the kind of streaming wars that kicked off in Australia in 2015. Um, Netflix and Stan arrived quickly. Amazon Prime was kind of in the background for a long time. And then it was just these two companies battling it out. And then kind of end of 2019, simultaneously within the same week, Apple TV and Disney Plus launched locally. Mm. And so Disney Plus has come out of the gate swinging. Obviously, they have this inbuilt young audience and family audience, Um, but they also have under their tier in Australia, essentially the Hulu brand, um, rebranded in Australia under Star. So Mm. under their banner um, on their homepage interface, you kind of have all of their, what would you call them, Andy? Um, Kind of little walled gardens. Yeah, Yeah. little channels. So you've got kind of Star Star Wars brand, you've got all of the Pixar stuff, you've got National Geographic, and then on one side, off in this little adults-only section, you've got... Uh, star and they're really trying to make it a place for people without like you know to give a reason for people without kids or an interest in disney's enormous back catalog and yeah a reason to to subscribe to disney plus it does it to be fair it does make sense i mean i'm always trying to downsize downsize how many logins i need to remember um or friends logins (laughs) i need to remember um but uh, it does make sense and like yeah you can obviously love a lot of the disney plus uh disney catalog without necessarily wanting to purely watch kids films so Mm. i just think for me personally i was just thinking sex pistols like it's kind of wild as this topic to have been pitched but maybe it's that whole thing like similar to when like daniel rad Cliff was trying to like shake off his Harry Potter. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to get naked in Europa. <laughs> do you think, you know, do you think, what, what can you tell us about well, um, Pistol, I suppose? Okay. Well, okay. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I spent the weekend watching it and yes. guys, it was intense. Um, it is a six part mini limited mini series. So there won't be any more episodes. Um, it follows the band from its formation in the in 75 to its, disbanding in 78 so it's a very quick um flash in the pan uh situation they only released one album which i didn't know about actually before we begin i need to preface everything that um you know that follows with the fact that i knew nothing about the sex pistols going into this show so so if you are an avid fan you are going to have a much different experience yeah the phone lines are already running (laughs) hot with complaints i watched it with my partner who knew much more about it than me and i could just tell when a new character arrived she's just looking at me and i knew okay they must be significant i I, would have known vivian westwood though surely <laughs> okay maybe <laughs> i know i know vivian westwood but i didn't know the link with the oh, sex pistols really okay and they do this thing where they don't give it away until you know in the last <laughs> last episode um for the entirety of the show chrissy hine from the pretenders is in it and you're not supposed to really know this until the last episode where they're like i'll see you on stage chrissy hind and you're like oh okay sure. <laughs> no, i knew that much but well alexa i can give you a recommendation you gotta uh, straight after the show you okay. gotta watch sid and nancy <laughs> i do have it on this list of, of previous attempts to tell this story oh yeah i was aware of the sid and nancy kind of drama for yeah, sure. Yeah. They do treat these real, you know, historical figures 
as if they're like a, a little known comic character in the MCU. Absolutely. Yes. So we, we finish, I think it's the first episode, yep. and we get a, we find You're out that introduced our, to uh, John Linden. Yeah, to Johnny Rotten. And he is this kind of caricature of what I imagine he would be like. Yeah, it's 100%. We get the exact same thing at the end of a Marvel film where it's like a, a you know, we pull in on the back of a head and we go, oh, who could that be? Could it be my favourite minor character? And he goes around <laughs> and goes, oi, to the screen as if to say like, oh, it's Johnny. Get me watching, Andy. It's a, very, it's a very soft introduction into, yeah, like you say, these these characters from the 70s punk scene. Um do you think it um, – I've only watched the first episode. Yeah. It seems maybe a little um, soft, I think, is the word that comes to mind for, you know, what was, you know, a time of immense upheaval in – particularly in U- the UK, yeah. you know, like Thatcher was in power. The punk movement came about exactly in response to this, like real fury, dis- this like sense of disenfranchised youth that were like – Let's you know this idea of nothingness, and yeah. you know it's a strong political statement. I'm not saying you know you have to love the music, but as at least as for a cultural event, it's huge and it has so much anger to it. You know, I remember being really into punk when I was in my teen years, and like you go into some of those, like, could you call it dancing? You just feel like you get beat <laughs> up in the crowd. And so, yeah, has it still there. got a bit of the edge to Definitely, it? Definitely, you get there. Um, I did read something though that said um, the that an issue with it is that it's kind of in, um, bringing to the table equal parts of um, nostalgia and nihilism and that's quite difficult to do. Mm. Um, there are, I guess, controversy uh, – liberties have been taken, I, I suppose, <laughs> to make it as, as friendly as possible. Um, oh, the Sex Pistols in this rendition <laughs> are just the absolute best people ever. Yeah. They did not put a foot wrong. They were open-minded. That must really piss them off. <laughs> oh, yes. There have been all kinds of controversies with yeah. the uh, kind of – it was produced with the support of the – of most of the band and the and the um, estates of, of Sid Vicious. But, yeah, because um, it was actually based on a memoir, right? Yeah, it was of, based um, on um, Steve Jones' 2016 memoir, Lonely Boy. Yeah. Um, but Johnny Rotten, um, John Lydon, he did not want this made at all and he sued the rest of the band to try yeah. and stop it. Um, I saw. I started watching that interview but it went for too long so I switched it off. Yeah, look, it doesn't surprise me that he's come out and said that. But, yeah, yeah what, what well, are kind of the main accusations against his it? His concern was that it would water down the band's legacy and that um, it – was a middle-class fantasy that bared little resemblance to the truth. Mm. But the problem was that he'd signed um, an agreement to have majority voting rules in the band in the late 90s, so he didn't have a leg to stand on. But <laughs> what's what's the ultimate irony is that I think he's, well, at least the actor that plays him, um, Anson Boone, he's the best character <laughs> in the show. I absolutely loved him. Do you think this will introduce a fresh audience, like a new audience to Sex Pistols music? Absolutely. I don't know if... <laughs> John Lydon would love that, <laughs> so, this particular audience. No, the youth need to be radicalised. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All the kids watching Cars on Disney, they're going to switch over and oh, say... No. Well, what's it rated, actually? Is it MMA? Oh, this is an interesting question. I, I think because I caught a bit of a sexy scene. really um, include ratings. Oh, don't they? Not, I think I've sort of just assumed that they were there and I never paid they attention. They are given the, the free reign to rate themselves. And right. if you're... Um, unless you're using kind of child locks, um, mm. they don't even note it. So I'm not sure, actually. It oh. would have been quite – it's quite gratuitously violent and uh, there's a lot of nudity. Mm. Um, and, yeah. 
one character that I didn't love so much, and it's mainly my own internal prejudice, I guess, <laughs> is Thomas Brody Sangster playing Malcolm McLaren, who's a great character. Yeah, He's the worst was... of all managers. Yeah. But And I know that technically the kid from Love Actually is now 32 <laughs> years old, but he still looks 12 and will always be 12 in my in, in my mind's eye, so I can't take it seriously. He did, he, I did think that was odd casting. Um, I think it's got to do with the red hair. They were just looking for a ginger-haired man. and Does they he have like, red hair? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm a, I, I know him, of course, as Jojen Reed from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yes. I must say he was my favourite bit of the oh, show. Oh, controversial, Andy. Oh, I'm, I'm not really? going to do the voice, but like, oh, he's just loving it. He's being Malcolm McLaren up the wazoo. It's, it's, oh, it's, that's it's, true. It's somewhere he between, but you so see, he's, he's loving it. It's such a fun, there's a great scene in which he turns up um, to to uh, represent uh, Steve Jones in court. in court, yeah, and he's sort of putting on this kind of foppish affectation as the good, you know, upstanding uh, business Gentleman, owner. Gentleman, yeah, yeah. He says he works in um, he and his, uh, his his wife work in uh, women's fashion. Yes. He says to the judge, which of course at the time was of course Vivian. The Westwood. ladies of your family will do, be well <laughs> aware right. of it. Yeah. The, the fairer sex <laughs> yes. will be aware of our, our designs, and they of course ran the boutique Sex at the time, yes, which largely sold bondage gear. So yeah, he gets the he hoodwinks the judge, and they run out of there. <laughs> It, you know, from what I've seen so far of Pistol, there is a lot of fun to be had. I yeah. think people are always going to be precious when we're dealing with real life characters and real life people, real life characters, real life people, <laughs> and bands and and events. Um, if you are keen to check out Pistol, um, can we say showrunner Danny Boyle? That seems weird. Well, it was creator directed Dan- by him, directed but by him, created and written by. Um, Craig Pierce, who's better known for his work with Baz Luhrmann. So he co-wrote Strictly Ballroom, uh, the new Elvis movie, uh, Romeo and Juliet. It does actually have that feeling, that kind of hype. It almost feels like a Baz Luhrmann property that just happened to be directed in this kind of gritty, it has style. that luscious saturation to it, and it's kind of jumpy at times. I thought I was watching Fight Club. Wow, um, r- mates! Yesterday, yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a <laughs> weird pairing. I'm not sure if that. Yeah. I especially <laughs> loved how it. many digs there were about Paul McCartney as well. I thought if you are kind of very familiar with Danny Boyle's back catalogue, yeah. you'll have a lot of fun with this. Well, I think uh, any listeners who have recently watched um, the Peter Jackson's. Um, mm. um, Get back um, on on yeah. the Beatles on um, Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. Well, steps right into another music bio with Danny Boyle's Pistol. I know he's not the sole contributor, but he's probably the best known. He has been at the forefront of most of the interviews, and he's yeah. really pushing it with his love of um, the Sex Pistols. And it definitely has an aesthetic, a Danny De- Boyle. Totally, look. and the yeah. music is incredible. The amount yeah. of money you, oh. this what you can get with a Disney budget. It's yeah. amazing, and, and not just Sex Pistols stuff. But all of the the kind of music that encompasses the eras that ca- the eras that came before and after it, it's amazing. Absolutely. So, Pistol is currently available to stream on Disney Plus. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Uh, Andy, this was your pick. Um, I got a little scared watching this, I have to admit, um, but I know you love your horror. So tell us about From. Okay, I had so many other, like, I don't know, 
classier picks that all these shows have been talking <laughs> sure, about sure, this sure. week. Yeah, well, I was going to tell us about Pachinko, that oh. wonderful show on Apple. I was going to talk about Gaslit, which is wonderful with Julia Roberts. But And I like those shows, but I just got addicted to From. I zoomed through it. All uh, episodes of the first season are now available on Stan, and I watched them over the course of like three days. How many I, apps? Oh, it's got like eight no, yes. no, it was 10. A 10-episode ten first season. And, and I zoomed how, through it. Yeah, and how long are they? 40 minutes, was it? I couldn't quite remember. It sounds like an old-school show. So old-school. <laughs> and I have a timeline. Oh, if I could impose a time limit on yeah. all modern TV production, it would be good 45 minutes, yeah. a nice broadcast hour, mm. none of this Stranger Things, you know, hour and 40 minutes no. for one episode. It's too much of a commitment. It's like I'd watch a film if I knew it was going to be an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah, this is nice, nice type to the yeah. point. So. This is a, I, I guess a good way to describe it would be, you know, that the classic mystery box show Lost, which really kicked off our kind of modern era of prestige TV on broadcast, but was later, you know, that whole thing was taken up by the by the uh, by the cable networks. Mm. So imagine if it's Lost, but it's a spooky little town instead of a <laughs> desert island. So uh, it's a, yeah, it's this kind of strange, uh, nightmarish little town in, in middle America that seems a bit fake. We have this kind of, um, you know, I'd, I'd relatively idyllic family. Um, you know, uh, mum, dad, kids, uh, who are maybe there's a bit of, you know, trouble in paradise, the parents are about to get divorced, but they're on this one last holiday in their RV and they find themselves on this kind of, you know, dusty rural road uh, and they drive through this creepy little town. They go, oh, I think we're going to leave. They drive out and find themselves right back mm. uh, coming into town again. They find they, they can't leave. It's this kind of endless loop. Um, and this is this is this show from, and they find out not just that they're you know the the panic residents say we've got to get inside, got to get inside because there are some sort of vampiric monster yes. threat when the night falls. <laughs> I've actually got a little clip. I will only play some of this, but I think this will give a nice taster um, of that kind of strange like countryside wholesomeness. Mm. But then there's something dark lurking behind it. It's a little bit quiet, but. Megan, it's Grandma. Come to the window. But I'm not supposed to. It's okay. I won't tell. It'll be our little secret. Do you promise? I promise. And I would never break a promise. Was that um, a polar bear, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a polar bear. It wasn't a smoke monster. None of our old lost friends. <laughs> but I say lost friends. We are actually joined by the wonderful Harold Perrineau, who played Michael on Lost all those years ago. Um, and, and Romeo and Juliet's Mercutio. Don't yes, another. We're getting lots nice, of Baz Luhrmann references. I know tonight. we're doing so well here. So I mean, I thought pa- Harold Perrineau had been in the you know the TV desert. Actually, he's been making shows for a while. But I, was I love so, him. Oh, he's so great. It's great to see him back. So he plays the sheriff in this small town that our our kind of family finds themselves in, and he has to explain the rules of this creepy little town, which include, as you heard there, that there are, you know. Sp- Creepy spectres, old women, and male men, and you know, <laughs> male men. Yeah, there's oh, a male, male man. Sorry, <laughs> I misheard Postal that. Workers. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. yeah. There's these kind of <laughs> there's these kind of spooky figures that come to your window at night, yeah. beckon you to let them in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why they're all dressed. There is like a period mailman in there. I don't know what <laughs> what he's doing. There's also a grandma. There's a few other creepy people. But yeah, I think I've um, I just, as I said, I just got immediately addicted 
to this show. It had this great cold open, as you see, when unfortunately a little girl is uh, wooed by one of these monsters. Not unfortunately, and... she deserved it. <laughs> she knew the rules. What, when you're when you're when a grandma is tapping at your second floor window, saying, "Let you me your letter in." Yeah, so, <laughs> so you're saying it was, it was her bacon. fault, really. Yeah, so and you know, I was I was shocked because this felt like a series in in a really great way, almost out of time. I'm surprised yeah. this wasn't on, you know, NBC. This is going like a great kind of serialized show that would leave us guessing for a great big sprawling cast. Um, but Do yeah, and that's partly because it's been in the works for so long. Well, yes, as you, as you mentioned, Alexa, it's been it's had a strange path to the screen. Yeah. It's one of the I'm surprised it's even made it to our screen. Absolutely. So it was originally conceived as a uh, YouTube Red series. So to talk about uh, obscure, yeah, what, what is YouTube, YouTube Red? What's the short answer to that? YouTube uh, tried for a very short time before they realized let's just leave it to Netflix and Disney Plus is coming. So we'll just. Pull the pin here. They added a subscription on, like only tier to the service, so it was ad free. And then they also started making original content for that for that right. specific tier. So they made the show Cobra Kai, which ended up on Netflix when they subsumed YouTube Red back into itself and kind of folded it in. Um, so a lot of shows got cancelled that you know that had been picked up that had been developed and then got cancelled. So I mean, it's great to see that From made it to yeah this yeah, point. It made it to to Epics, one of the obscurely named American uh, cable. cable shows. Yeah, it's not Stars with a Z; cable, it's Epics with an X. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and look, I'm so glad that it did. It it does feel a little bit out of time. I was shocked to find how gory this show is, especially because it has that kind of lost mystery box feeling to it. But yeah, I was going to say our our, our little girl from the opening does not make it and we see just how just how much uh, she, <laughs> she doesn't really make doesn't it. make it oh grandma is not as kind as she she might appear floating by that second story window um i love that stan has become this really interesting place for all of the random cable channels that are making stuff but are too small or maybe not of interest to Netflix and the mm. other other channels. That's a great way to capture it. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, it feels very high budget in a lot of ways. Like it does seem like it's really well thought out. Like you said, it has got this timeless quality to it. Um, what's the reception been like for it? I can't believe. I mean, I have a, a knack for picking shows that I'm like, <laughs> I love that show and it immediately gets cancelled. Uh, it's been picked up for a second season. And oh, it's, wow. It's such a, much like Lost that came before it. You know, you're left at the end of the season. I won't spoil anything, but, you know, you've got more questions. You know, the few answers we get only open up, you know, crazier and creepier aspects. This town we find out is is almost entirely just fake. It's kind of a fake town. The right. power lines go nowhere. Chickens and cows walk in out of nowhere. Old-timey songs pop up on the, you know, the radios around town. It's got this... So I have no idea what's going on. Is it aliens? Is it monsters? Are they in the afterlife? Is it, you know, is it purgatory a la the conclusion of Lost, which no one really liked? <laughs> I mean, that's a spoiler, but I suppose you've had time enough to watch uh, the entire se- season of series of Lost. Um, it's Yeah, it's a cr- curious one. I think that um, with... Um, uh, sorry, I don't know where I was going to go with it. It's a curious one because, like, you've got this um, sci-fi element to it, which is always in the background there. And you've also got um, just this strange repetition. So I'm I'm very intrigued by it. You mentioned before about the fact of the reason why so many Aussies were, like, basically downloading content was to be part of a conversation, really, uh, with what was happening. And, like, I know that From has, um, similar to Pistol, has sparked a lot of conversation 
conversation online. We're now seeing that with almost like fan groups and, mm. and you know, Twitter is a great example of how we need to be seeing things at the same time. <laughs> we're, part, we're a global citizen, as you said, Andy. <laughs> um, so we, we probably need to wrap up soonish. But um, what would you um, – where do you kind of think that this is going to go next for season two? <laughs> Look, I, I just hope more people watch it. I yeah. Think Stan, as, as Alexa mentioned, it's been so great in catching these little shows that maybe we wouldn't have hit. I mean, the great example we've mentioned is, is Julia Roberts and Sean Penn in, in Gaslit, which mm. is like a quirky Sam Esmail who worked on Mr. Robot. Remember yeah, that show? yeah, yeah. It's a retelling of Watergate. But, right. you know, so <laughs> it's it's much kind of crazier and kooky yeah, than even the ads yeah. would have you find. And, I mean, I hope that Stan means that these shows get a bit of traction, that they get a bit of interest um, because there are just too many shows being made. You know, back in the day, Lost was what everyone was watching. Mm. But now there's, you know, nine or ten things to watch. I think it will be the way that Stan goes because really early on they they establish themselves with lots of big deals with um, conglomerates that have since set up their own services. Mm. So they got popular with a a spate of Disney movies and they got Mm. popular with heaps of stuff from NBC Universal. And and so now they are kind of dependent on making their own shows, which they're quite well known for and have led the way in doing. But also in picking up all this like low-hanging fruit from uh, players that aren't (laughs) conglomerates like Disney and, you know, Fox. Totally. Mm. They've got uh, the Midwich Cuckoos, which I think just started uh, last <laughs> night, which is the classic John Wyndham for novel. For the name alone. Oh, it's the best name. Although it's it's what inspired Children of the Dam. That oh, famous... right. Yeah, so okay. Very so it's a retelling of that bring up, yeah. uh, coming from the UK. So Stan's just picking up all these great shows we probably wouldn't wait. have heard of. I can't <laughs> wait to watch um, Everything I Know About Love, which is an mm. adaptation of Dolly Alderton's novel. And that's, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's a BBC I show, I think, so uh, Channel 4 maybe, and that's out next week. So I'm so looking forward We're to that. Stan's yeah. Yeah. We're just Stan's Yeah, we're Stan's Absolutely. That well. article writes itself, maybe. <laughs> well, if you'd like to be a Stan Stan, uh, from... <laughs> is currently available to stream on there. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Alexa, Andy and myself, Flick. On tonight's show, we spoke about alternative streaming platforms and what they offer. We reviewed Danny Boyle's Pistol about 70s punk band The Sex Pistols, which is currently streaming on Disney+. And we finished up the hour with From, a spooky rural horror uh, created by John Griffin, which is currently available to stream on Stan. A big spe- a big thank you to my special guest reviewers for tonight, Dr. Andy Lynch and Alexa Scaletta. It's been a pleasure having you both on. Thanks so thank so much, you. Blake. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me back. Aww, always. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 